What's up, everybody? Great show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios, the world-renowned Sweet Bee Studios, the places where dreams come true in baseball happens 24-7, 365, the Sistine Chapel of Podcast Studios. This is Quentin, a.k.a. Q-Dog. Let's talk a little bit of baseball, man. How's everybody doing, dude? It's been a while. I haven't uploaded anything in like two weeks, dude. So I'm glad to be back, man. I'm glad you've tuned in. I'm glad you're listening to me. Hopefully, baseball's being good to you as of late. You know, hopefully your team's are treating you well. Hopefully, you're not relying too much on cheap beer to get through the Major League Baseball season because those things can happen sometimes. Take it from a Cubs guy over here. You know, sometimes that's all we have. But, you know, right now the Cubs are in first and they're 10 games above 500. And quite frankly, I don't care what fans are complaining about these days. If you're in first place and 10 games above 500, hey, let's drink one together, but we don't need to drink 10 together because, hey, we haven't hit rock bottom yet, guys. So let's do it. All right, man. First and foremost, okay, listen, I got some big news on the way. It's a huge announcement right now from the greatest show on dirt, Sweet Bee Studios. My wife, Courtney, and I, we've been married for a few years now, and she is with child. So congratulations to me um thoughts and prayers to her because you know it's sort of like that early morning sickness stuff you know as a guy there's really nothing you could do but you know I bring her ice cold water whenever she needs it and any sort of craving that she has I'll get you know she had a craving the other day for french onion dip and ruffles chips which by all means is one of my favorite treats ever so I was very happy to get that for her you can't tell she's pregnant at this point she's about third she'll be 14 weeks on Tuesday right you can't tell she's pregnant right she's a trooper she looks the same but me well my body's changed a little bit in the last 14 weeks I've, I've put on some weight man my waist is expanding and I don't know why I just know I've been eating a lot of food she's not eating a lot of food she's not like craving any weird stuff besides the chips and dip but I just think as a dad you have to look like a dad and I just want to, I don't know, eat as much food as I can right now before you have a kid because then when you have a kid, you have to buy kid food and they're going to eat all the food like no matter what. So I feel like I kind of have to get mine now because if you buy delicious foods, for example, if I go out and buy delicious strawberry Pop-Tarts, right, and whether I cook them in the microwave or the oven or eat them cold, hey, my Pop-Tart, my choice, okay, if you've got a problem with it, delete the podcast now, but I like to eat my Pop-Tarts, I like to have a Pop-Tart any one of those three ways, I just like the versatility of the Pop-Tart, because some days I'm I'm, I'm craving a raw Pop-Tart, right, but other days I want a nice toasted Pop-Tart, and then other days where I'm just maybe, I had a few too many to drink the night before, and I don't have the patience for a toaster to get that out, I'll put it in the microwave for 15 seconds and get the strawberry filling in the inside nice and warm and gooey and it burns my tongue just a little bit. But because I'm an impatient eater and can't wait, that's how I like to live my life. So whatever. But the kid's going to be great, man. I'm super pumped to train the next big thing in Major League Baseball, whether this baby is a boy or a girl, because we don't know yet. But if he's a boy, I will, upon birth, be tying, be tying. <laughs> As soon as the kid's born, I'm going to take his right arm and I'm going to tie it around his back so he can't use his right hand, but he'll only be forced to use his left hand because there are a lot of teams out there that I've witnessed at the trade deadline that need good pitching 
and everyone needs a reliever that can throw high 90s that might be a lefty. <laughs> so uh, you'll have one in about 20 years. <laughs> He's going to come from my house. Yep. So, yeah, we're going to do that, man. We're going to we're going to tie his hand up or her hand up. You know, if 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 this baby is a little girl, she will be the first female Major League Baseball player. So um, that's going to be amazing, man. And she's going to be a lefty and she's going to throw heat 100%. You know, we're going to work on hand-eye coordination at a young age. I'm talking maybe six months old. I'll start throwing baseballs at it. And if the baby doesn't want to get hit by the baseball, it's going to have to reach up and hit that ball. And I think that's a great way to show hand-eye coordination. I'm not going to throw the baseball like at the kid really hard, but I'm just going to toss some stuff up there and, you know, maybe the kid will start swatting it. But I do know, so the Minnesota Twins, I'm not going to abuse my baby at a young age. Okay, it's not going to happen. But I'm going to try to teach it hand-eye coordination at six months by throwing things at it. But I'll throw soft things at it. Okay? Don't turn me in. But here's the thing, man. Williams Astadio, dude, he's the uh, Twins... Catcher, but he's been on like the disabled list all year, right? But the guy has uncanny hand-eye coordination. He strikes out like five times a year, right? And his old man, dude, his dad, because he grew up in the Dominican, taught him really good hand-eye coordination with a stick and a corn kernel, like off like a corn on the cob, right? Like if you were like picking corn stalks, you just take a little piece of corn and he would throw pieces of corn at his kid and his kid would hit him with the stick. So that's what I'm going to do with my kid, right? I'm going to, you know, we're going to do it the Dominican way. And I'm going to teach him hand-eye coordination with a stick and a kernel of corn or possibly with like a stick and a bottle cap. Because in the Dominican, they play like really, or might be Puerto Rico, I don't know, they play really serious like bottle cap baseball. Where they don't have a baseball, they throw bottle caps at you like off a Dasani water bottle, right? And they throw it real hard to make it curve and people hit it with like broomsticks. And that's the ultimate in hand-eye coordination. So my kid's not going to hit a baseball until they're like 14. You know what I mean? I'm just going to be, and of course, then at that point. When the kid turns 14, I'll un- I'll unharness its right hand from behind its back so that it can, can so then it can use its right hand. And then I know the kid will be like a pristine lefty. Dude, it'll be like the kid's been living with one arm the whole time, being a successful baseball player. And then I'll start throwing baseballs to the kid. And we'll see what he's got, you know. So that that's gonna be amazing, man. Calisthenics in the crib. I'm going to put, oh, here's one thing to check this out. I, I told my cousin Josh, man, I said, dude, I'm going to put a a backpack on the kid. That way when the kid's crawling around, the kid will have a backpack on with like a five pound dumbbell, like in the back of it for weight training, you know, to strengthen the arms and the core and like your, your quadriceps, right? Big legs, you know, that will drive the ball and really drive the pitch as well. Because, oh, if I'm getting out of breath, man, that's because I just won't shut up. Good God, I need a freaking guest or a co-host ASAP dude before I die what was I saying oh I was talking about um the weight training right and you know getting the kid ready right so putting the weights on it let the kid crawl around and stuff because you need to have good legs to be a really good pitcher to throw fast but also to be like a good power hitter you need the legs right so like so I tell my cousin Josh this and he goes no he goes don't use the backpack he goes use the fanny pack he told me this is a great idea man and genius he said, get the fanny pack, man, and put the fanny pack on the kid. And then when you put the fanny pack on the kid, put some weight in it. And then that will um, strengthen their core even more. And it will also strengthen the kid's lower back. Because right now, like guys like Max Scherzer, they're on the disabled list with back problems, right? 
Well, guess who? Guess who's southpaw slugger slash starting pitcher, two way player coming soon in the year twenty thirty nine will have a strong lower back and core because his dad at three months of age put a fanny pack on him with five pounds of weights in it. Yeah, baby McCree. That's what's up, dude. All right, let's get, uh, let's do this thing, man. Let's talk some baseball and get to the show. Here's the intro music. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Let's get down to some good stuff that's coming along on baseball right now. One of the first things I want to talk about is it looks like August 20th of 2020. So next year on a Thursday, I believe that's the date, the White Sox will host the New York Yankees in Iowa on the at the location that Field of Dreams is shot. Super excited about this. Major League Baseball has started building a temporary 8,000 capacity baseball field. They started building it on Tuesday, which is about a year. Well, obviously, because what is today? August 10th. So a year and a few days before the game is set to start. And I think that's pretty cool because it's sort of like if you build it, they will come. So it's like, okay, let's build this temporary stadium. And this time next year, we're going to have a Major League Baseball game here, which is super cool. Major League Baseball has a 3D rendering of what the site will look like. So as it sits right now, the, the field that Kevin Costner built on Field of Dreams, that's not where they're going to play at. But if you take that field, it looks like that cornfield that's like in the outfield, there's going to be a walking path through there. And then that walking path will take you to right field of the new stadium that's going to be built. And so it's like the two stadiums will be connected via a pathway in the cornfield. And then when you walk through the outfield of the original field that Kevin Costner built. Like I said, you'll come out at right field in the new park. And it looks like in the outfield of the new park, in right field, there's going to be corn stalks. In left field, I think there's just going to be grass where people can sit and watch the game. And then all your 8,000 seats are sort of down the left field and the right field lines. So it would look like seating at like a minor league ballpark. But the field, the whole situation looks pretty cool, man. I'm super excited about this. I would say, I think Field of Dreams is my favorite baseball movie ever, man. I mean, just when I watch it, like, it's like that and The Sandlot, for sure, are like my two, like, nostalgic flicks. Like, there's just some movies out there, man, I'll watch, and they take me to a completely different place. And, like, all those movies aren't baseball movies, but, you know, Field of Dreams definitely doesn't, man. There's there's few things, like, I love in life more than anything other than, like, vintage, old school, like, 80s, 90s baseball and I love the way 80s and 90s baseball feels. So, you know, when I watch Field of Dreams, like it sort of puts me like in that setting of just like historic old school baseball, which that portion of it I love. But then just like what happens with the movie, like, and, you know, Field of Dreams, like when Kevin Costner finishes the field and the lights are turned on and stuff like that, man, it's just one of the most beautiful things ever. And I think that's part of the reason, like around where I live, there are there are three different minor league ballparks within, I would say like an hour and 20 minutes, but two of them are these really small 
single A minor league ballparks, right? So the Hickory Crawdads, which are the single A team for the Texas Rangers, and then the Kannapolis Intimidators, which are the single A team for the Chicago White Sox. Man, and going to both of these parks, I mean, they don't, they can't hold eight thousand people, man. At most, that's probably what they hold. And it's just like these little like baseball venues, man. Just these real intimate settings where there's truly not like a bad seat in the house. You can go there and get a hot dog and a drink for like three bucks. And it's just it, it honestly, it's some of the best baseball to watch, man. It reminds me of just being at the ballpark as a kid, you know, and that's what I sort of think this field of dream setup will look like. I'd, I'd love to get tickets for it, man. I would totally like liquidate like my 401k cash in, like whatever I have in the savings account. Like I'm glad to spend, you know, if I need, I don't know, like if there are only 8,000 seats. I feel like a lot of people will want to go to the game and I'm not beyond like going to a third world country and like trying to sell one of my kidneys, you know, like I'm a Cubs fan, so I can't really sell you any portion of my liver whatsoever because like I need the liver being a Chicago Cubs fan, you know, to process all that uh, Keystone light. But the kidneys, man, I'm pretty sure that drinking a lot of beer and watching baseball has nothing to do with your kidneys, I don't believe. But if it does, like I know I have two kidneys and I can really, you know, if my kidneys have the clutch gene, they'll learn it really quick because I'm only going to have one kidney because if I have to sell the other one to go to this game, I would love to go to it, dude. Like, could you imagine just watching a baseball game, like in a cornfield, just like in that, just like old country setting. I feel like this is going to have like tons of like, like nostalgic feelings, man. of just watching baseball in the eighties and nineties. Like I love to just, I'll go on YouTube all the time and just watch old baseball games. I watched what was it? It was August 8th was the uh, anniversary of the Cubs playing their first night game. And the first game that was ever played there was rained out, I think, after four innings. But you can watch the first four innings of that game on YouTube, dude. And I love it, man. I just love like I love how the stands looked, you know, like back in the 80s and stuff like that. You know, when you watch the baseball games and they're like, I don't like Budweiser signs and Marlboro cigarette signs like in the outfield. There's not like a ton of like digital signage. The place isn't overloaded with advertisements, man. It's just like, it's just simple, direct baseball. Like there's people aren't in the stands on their phones. Like it's just, you don't have like all this stat cast. I, I, I like, I love social media, dude. I love stat cast. I love the technology that's like come behind the game. But sometimes you just want to watch a baseball game and not have the little, the the strike box on the TV, man. You know, you just... You just want to watch the game, you know, no ticker on the bottom, no score, you know, that's sitting there on the top of the screen telling you the pitch count and the miles per hours and stuff like that, man. Sometimes just watching baseball, right? You just want your imagination to take over and, you know, kind of sort of unpack those things in your mind. And I think that's a lot of the beauty of going on YouTube and watching games from like the 80s and early 90s is because you can do that, right? Like your imagination can put all the pieces together and your mind really has to work to be like, Hey man, what pitch did he throw? Right? Like, and how fast do I think that pitch was thrown compared to the pitcher that came out the inning before him for the other team? Because there's no mile per hour ticker for me to know how fast they're throwing. Right? So who's throwing this really heat? You know, you kind of have to have the faith in that, you know, maybe the pitcher you're watching on your team, you know, is throwing really good that day. And so for that reason, man, that's, that's part of the reason why I'm such a fan dude of baseball nostalgia and, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think I'm just super pumped about this Field of Dreams game. So if you or a loved one's in the market for a kidney, give me a buzz. The Greatest Show on Dirt. You know how to find us on social media. Um, 
you know, you can get a little bit of a discount if you cut the kidney out yourself, but otherwise I'm looking to get as much money as I can so I can go to this game. So let me know. Just slide into my DMs. Please do digital or direct messaging. Try to keep it private because, um, you know, at the law, right? It's, it's illegal to sell an organ on the internet or in person for that matter. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right. This next part sort of pains me to speak about, you know, uh, being a Cubs fan or really just a baseball person in general, man, I think we don't like to like the New York teams, you know, like the Yankees and the Mets. If you're like from the Midwest, it's just like, whatever, I don't want any part of those teams. But, you know, the Chicago Cubs had suffered some heartbreaks to the Mets, right? Most recently in 2015, when they lost in four games to one in the National League Championship Series, man. But always, anytime I watch baseball, man, one of my favorite things, really any sport, but really with baseball, man, like I'll always follow my team during the season. But I always look for like other teams, right? I always look for like these good storylines of underdogs. I feel like one of the most powerful things about sports, right, is, uh, you know, watching someone do something extraordinary, whether that's like a player, like, you know, break, you know, hitting like a certain amount of home runs or a hitting streak or a batting average or just a team, you know, over, overcoming all odds to do something really important, man. And kind of right now we're seeing that with the New York Mets. They were... Gosh, I think at one point, um, at the All-Star break, they were under 500, maybe by about 10 games or something like that. And then since the All-Star break, they've went 19-6. and six. They traded for Marcus Stroman when they were about six games out of the wild card. And, you know, we've had a pretty easy time making fun of the Mets this season. I think their coach and one of their starting pitchers tried to fight a reporter by the vending machines. Jason Vargas said he was going to knock him the F out. Mickey Calloway was super mad at this reporter, right? And obviously when you're in New York, you know, the publicity's there and you always have a camera in your face. So you can't really do anything and get away with it. But these New York Mets, man, dude, if you, if you know, if you love to, you know, find the underdog, find the team that's not supposed to do something good, and then you see them doing something really good, you'll find that in the New York Mets right now, man. They pulled a full turnaround. As they sit right now, they're probably maybe three or four games above 500. They're only a half game out of the wild card now their pitching is looks like it's firing on all cylinders you know they added Marcus Stroman who's one of those guys that I'm completely sold on and I know when the trade happened man it wasn't um, looked at as a good trade because Marcus Stroman is a ground ball pitcher and you know baseball analysts were like yo this might this might not make a lot of sense because Marcus Stroman is a ground ball pitcher and the New York Mets have a really crappy defense right so they have the highest batting average given up on ground balls. So basically, if you're a pitcher and you allow a ground ball, the New York Mets defense uh, is more likely that that will be a hit because their defense just isn't that good, right? But Marcus Stroman is one of those guys that's, um, you know, he's like wildfire in the clubhouse. You know, he's somebody that can motivate the clubhouse, get everybody going. He obviously, you can see his emotion, man, and I think that's really important for the rest of the guys in the clubhouse because when you're playing 162 games, you know, for the season, man, it's got to be unbelievably hard not to get stuck in some sort of rut where you might regress as the season goes on. You know, like, for example, it might work on Monday through Friday. Like, I'll start Monday where I'm, like, super productive, and then by the time, like, Tuesday at 2.37 rolls around, I'm like, no, I'm kind of done for the week, man. And if something crazy doesn't happen around the office – then I'm just going to get really bored, you know? So I have to be constantly entertained. And I get, like, do these dudes play baseball for a living, so they should be happy 24-7. 
But it's not really like that, man. And, you know, you will get stuck in ruts and, you know, maybe lose some of your energy as the season goes on, especially when you're get, when your team is, you know, 10 games under 500 at the All-Star break. So to have someone come in like Stroman, man, I think it's completely huge. But also, you know, Pete Alonso's performance on the home run derby, man, I think helped a lot because it gave, you know, Mets fans and Mets players like really something to cheer for. And also that the fact that, you know, the Mets only got rid of Jason Vargas, which I think was pretty cool because it shows a lot of faith in the team, you know, keeping Syndergaard, keep it. They were always, I believe, going to keep DeGrom, but they kept Syndergaard and they kept Wheeler, who's a free agent at the end of this year, and then decided to add Stroman and got rid of, I, I think, some pretty decent prospects. I'm not 100% sure, but Stroman will be under control for the rest of this year and all next year. So I think this sort of thing is huge, right? And when I watch baseball games, dude, I'm always, I always, I'm always drawn. I'll always pick an alternate team. And I'm always drawn to the underdog, right? And like I said, it pains me to say it because the Mets have broken the Cubs' hearts before. And, you know, my wife, she's from Long Island, right? So she doesn't really like the Mets either. I mean, she doesn't dislike the Mets like she hates the Red Sox, but she's like, whatever. Like, the Mets are sort of trashy. <laughs> like, that's cool, man. So when I tell her, like, I want to watch the Mets game, she's like, what's wrong with you? She's like, I'll divorce you for real, you know? But obviously, if you heard the first part of the podcast, we have a kid on the way, right? And, you know, the kid's going to be named King Griffey Jr. McCree. If you don't know, I just decided that in the 15 minutes that I've been recording. How's that sound? Ken Griffey Jr. McCree, if I name my kid that. You guys like that? It's not bad. They could just be like, oh, little Ken Griffey Jr. McCree. Let me hold you in my arms, little Ken Griffey Jr. McCree. And then if he has a son... He could name his son Ken Griffey Jr. McCree Jr. Yo, how about that? Yeah, catch me aside. How about that? Good stuff, though, man. But I, I love the Mets, dude. I love their story. It's sort of in, um, you know, the same vein as like, you know, talking about like the field of dreams and playing on the field of dreams and looking at like these, you know, having this nostalgic feeling of like good baseball and like good comebacks. And I always love to read about like historic comebacks, like the 95 Mariners. Like that was, that's a super, that's in the time I've been alive from 1983, the 1995 Mariners come back to make the postseason is huge, right? And I feel like it's just always those stories, man, of just teams and athletes doing things that people think they can't do, man. You know, defying the odds, defying what the media says, defying what the fans says, defying what everyone thinks, right? Everyone thought the New York Mets, they should have sold and traded, and, you know, the Mariners in 95, people sort of thought the same thing with them, man. They were voting, you know, trying to get funds, you know, to build Safeco Field in 1995. And those referendums were getting shot down. I'm wanting to say as late as September, like late September, those were still getting turned down. And it got to the point where the ownership for the Mariners were like, okay, we're going to put the team up for sale and the county was like, hey, give us 30 more days. Like, we want to try to get this passed again. And as it turned out, what happened in those 30 days was some magical baseball that saved the franchise, right? And it was at the beginning of August in 1995 that the Seattle Mariners were actually 13 games back of the California Angels. Uh, BTW, I love the California Angels hats and the uniforms, by the way. I wish the Anaheim Angels would go back to the California Angels because I'm not too sure where the Angels are from. Like, are they the Anaheim Angels? Are they the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? It's all really confusing. I don't understand the whole dynamic, but uh, back to it, man. The Mets were 13 games back of that. You know, King Griffey Jr. had missed over half of the season at that point, man. He was injured, 
And But he came back right on the backs of guys like him. You know, the Mariners had traded a couple guys for Andy Bennis that year. They had traded for the speedy Vince Coleman to bat leadoff for him that year. And also, I mean, you know, those Mariners teams, dude, were so legit. Like, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Tino Martinez was still a Mariner. Um, You have Randy Johnson pitching, dude. And it was like, I mean, this team went, oh, man, like, I think it was – they were they were thirteen games back at the beginning of August, and it was like a nineteen. I think they were nineteen and six uh, to end the season. And then the you know the Angels obviously finished the season under five hundred, and they actually had to play the Mariners and the California Angels in ninety five. Had to play one game tiebreaker, game one sixty three, and Randy Johnson went out there and just do a complete game. I think like three hitter, one earned run, or something like that. And you know I look at stuff like that, and I always try to find that story every year that the baseball season goes on. Like last year, I watched a lot of Oakland A's baseball and a lot of Tampa Bay Rays baseball. And I'm kind of doing the same thing this year. And, you know, I find myself, you know, looking at the Mets too. And I'm like, man, what's this team going to do? You know, because there are other teams I like in that division. I like what the Braves are doing. I've always liked what the Phillies are doing. I think John Cruck calls an awesome baseball game on Phillies TV, which is part of the reason why I watch a lot of Phillies broadcasts. But I love the AL, um, Excuse me, I love the NL East race, man. I think it's coming down to something good. I, I believe it seems pretty simple if you look at the National League East that the Atlanta Braves are probably going to win the division just because of the lead they have. I know the Mets are eight games back right now, and honestly, I think that the Phillies are about eight games back too. But then again, you know, it's only August 10th right now, and, you know, crazier stuff can happen when you're back that far in the division because. The Mariners in 1995, they they were 13 games back of the American League West on August 3rd. So 13 games back of a division lead. They didn't get to the playoffs via a wild card. They got to the playoffs because they won their division, right? That's a huge deal. And, you know, that's where it sits right now. Actually, in the uh, National League East, you've got the Washington Nationals that are back six and a half games. And, you know, they're... They, they've won five out of the last 10, right? So they're just running at about 500. But it's the Mets that have, you know, won nine out of the last 10, and they're eight games back. And, I mean, I don't – you know, the, the Atlanta Braves, you know, I think they got Mark Melanson and Shane Green. And Shane Green's already had, like, a couple bad outings. And you just never know, man, but that's one of the divisions I've got my eye on just to, like, see what can happen because I feel like that is our one, like, wild card division. It's sort of like – the National League East and then the National League Central. And part of the reason why like, I wa- like watching the National League Central is because the Cubs are in it. But that's a tight division because the Cincinnati Reds are only seven games back. But you know like they're not good enough to contend. But when you look at like the Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs, there's nothing really any of those three teams are doing right now where I look at them and I say, oh, they can make an October run. But when I look at the National League East and I'm like the Braves and the Nationals and Phillies and Mets, the two teams I look at – out of the four I just named are the Nationals and the Mets because I feel like those are teams that can get hot and they've got elite pitching. But I kind of feel like the Cubs could get hot as well, but I just don't think their offense is up to going on like a, a big run. But, you know, those are good stories in that division. But, um, yeah, the Mariners went on, man. They won their division, obviously. they. What's crazy about that, dude, is the 95 Mariners, man, when they went to play – so they went to the um, American League Division Series, but the Mets, excuse me, in the American League Division Series, they played the Yankees, right? And the Yankees had home field advantage. So the first two games were played at Yankee Stadium, and the Mariners actually lost those games because, 
you know, they had played a game 163, so Randy Johnson couldn't pitch. And then Randy Johnson came in and pitched game three, I think like seven or eight innings, threw a lot of pitches, and then came in to pitch three innings in game five. And, you know, the Mariners won it. But I'm kind of looking at the Mets right now, man. I wonder if they can be that feel-good story, you know. They got they got a lot of good guys on that roster that seem to be coming around. Do-do-do. Next. Um, okay, next on the agenda, check this out, man. Major League Baseball's been – researching their baseballs right so majorly we we I, I talked about this like maybe what a couple weeks ago or whatever where rob manfred said that major league baseball didn't have any scientific evidence right that the baseball had been changed but you know there there is scientific evidence out there that the baseball's been changed just independent testing right well it turns out i'm gonna say i read this article a couple years a uh, couple weeks ago that the the studies that major league baseball is funding I think those studies are kind of about to come to a head as it turns out it looks like that the people doing those studies which are at Washington State University it says Alan Nathan dude is like the chairman for like a lot of for like these studies um for this like committee of scientists formed by Major League Baseball right that started in August of 2017 and so Alan Nathan seems to think that the smoking gun may very well have been found regarding what the baseballs have done and I believe that this information is going to be ready for Major League Baseball soon and even someone close to the study said that um, that modified baseballs affixed to the juiced baseball could be ready for the 2021 season but the league hasn't yet to commit to anything, nor has the league released any of these findings because they're still gathering all the information. But the people doing the study, which we don't know yet because the information hasn't been released, is that the the problem might have been found and that new baseballs could be ready in about a, in a little over a year to fix the problem, which is really wild, right? Because if these, um, you know, if the people studying the baseballs are going to basically give Major League Baseball fixed baseballs, I feel like maybe Rob Manfred might not want that, but I guess he might not have much of a choice. But as it turns out, there's a guy named Lloyd Smith who's like the head of the research that they're doing at Washington State University, and he's the one that said that because they found the problem that modified baseballs could be ready by the 2021 season to fix the juice ball problem. But I, I think it may. I, I believe Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred. Like I don't have proof of this. Nobody does. But I believe the balls were changed on purpose to create more home runs. And now, like, Rob Manfred might like this decision if he can stay out of the hot water because I think maybe Rob might want him to, like, go back to normal because I think maybe a lot of people think the game's diminished. But I don't know if a lot of people do think the game's diminished. Like, I think people like home runs, but it doesn't change the fact that, like, small ball's dead. So getting rid of the home run, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can go both ways on it, man. I, I like baseball, dude. I've always liked baseball. I understand that. I mean, baseball goes through phases, dude. Teams are always figuring out a way to win. Teams are always figuring out new strategies and things like that. So I've never been one to look at baseball and say, oh, too many home runs are being hit. Like, I wish baseball was played the way it was. Like, don't get it confused. Like, that's not how I feel. Like, I understand baseball's progression into figuring out how to beat the competition, especially when you look at teams like the Tampa Bay Rays who don't have the money that like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs have looking to really innovate in ways where they can get an advantage on the competition through data. Man, I love that sort of strategy no matter what. 
when you hear me gripe about small ball on the bunt and stolen bases, it's mostly because I watch the Chicago Cubs and I feel like they do the same thing over and over again and they expect different results because they hit like crap with runners in scoring positions. So I'm always like, well, I'd like to see more bunts and small ball because I really feel like it could benefit a lot of teams. I'm not telling you to change the way you play, but and you totally use the data that you have. But I'm curious what Major League Baseball thinks about this because I feel like they're higher ups in that situation that wanted the ball changed. And now, like, it's sort of maybe going to change back to normal, you know? And it's, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. But I've, I've always loved, dude, one of the cool things about baseball, I think, is the different eras of baseball. Like, if we're in the juice ball era now, you know, 15 years from now, we're going to look back on this juice ball era with nostalgia because it's got, like, a direct name to it. Like, the steroid era or whatever era that happened before that, right? So, I just, I love the different generations in baseball and, and the way they're played. But Major League Baseball's already said they're not going to comment until the work is fully complete. And even like the the guys like Lloyd Smith, he said, you know, I don't really want to say that we've solved the problem. But he his thought is, you know, we've solved the problem once Major League Baseball is happy with the solution that we found as far as the baseballs go. Um, if you were to ask me, like, is the baseball a problem right now? I don't. I, I think. I think my answer would be no, man. Like, I don't think the baseball is the problem at all. Like, home runs are fun to watch for sure. If I would say maybe the only problem would be if Major League Baseball changed the baseballs, and the players and the players' union didn't know, then that's that's a, a huge problem. And we know right now that the Major League Baseball players weren't notified of any change in the baseball. And the reason why I say that is because if the change is going to happen, man, like players need to know so they can adjust their game accordingly. Like so hitters can adjust accordingly. So pitchers can adjust accordingly because that baseball is so different. It's affecting the way pitchers, you know, the way pitches break, the way sliders are thrown. Guys were getting more blisters and things like that. So the only really problem I would say is you didn't communicate this to the rest of everybody else that you were going to change the baseball. But otherwise, I, I don't mind how the game is played, man. I just love baseball, dude. I love the strategy behind it. And no matter what, like if the game's played differently than it was 10 or 15 years ago or whatever, the thing that never goes away by baseball is the strategy, man, is always trying to get an edge on the other team. And that's what I love, man. I, and I, I, I always, you know, can't wait to see what's next, man. It's crazy with baseball because it's been played for so long, right? And new things can still happen with Major League Baseball. And that to me is one of the most amazing things about it, man. It's something that's been going on since like 1880. You know, about as far back as they've kept records. And still new things happen in the sport, man, and I love it. Shoot, I guess that's 30 minutes of baseball we talked. Well, maybe about six or seven minutes of hot air on uh, training my kid to be a professional baseball player. But other than that, thanks for listening, dude. We'll close the show out right now. We'll get you. Uh, we'll try to get another episode recorded soon, man. I'm going to try harder than ever to uh, just sit in front of this computer and yap more baseball. So I've, I've sort of been in like this weird creative funk. I don't know what to say when the mic comes on. And honestly, I didn't know what to say today. So if you made it this part of the podcast, cheers, man. Send us a DM or something and we'll send you some free stickers. I still have some stickers left, man. If anyone's listening, you guys want stickers or you want more stickers, dude, just send us a message on our Facebook, our Instagram, or our Twitter. Dude, I'll put the links in the this description. So if you're listening on your phone, you could click on the description and click on the link. And it'll take you, take, uh, you to like our pages and you can just let us know you want some stickers dude we'll hook you up man they're pretty cool stickers dude you can put them on your car hey if you got like a dent in your car maybe you hit something that's cool you could like 
put them on your desk at work, on your computer at work. They're, they're cool stuff, man. They're rad stickers. Dude, I got them from Sticker Meal, bro. They're phenomenal, dude. Okay, see you guys later.